Thank you for joining us for today's message. We believe God is going to do great things in your life. If God has impacted you through this ministry, partner with us in reaching others. Go to SummitSA.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. So let's start with some misconceptions. We know that hope is a crucial element of life. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we know man can live somewhere around 60 days without food and maybe three, four days without water, but only seconds without hope. And there are a lot of misconceptions about hope. Uh, Real life is a lot different than simplistic Christian slogans. I mean, fortunately, the Bible speaks to reality. So this morning, let's see what it says about hope. You can't just say, well, brother, just hope in God. Well, not when you don't know why or how, but we just spout it off to other people. So let me give you a couple of misconceptions. One of my friends is a Christian clinical psychologist, Dr. Henry Cloud, out in Santa Monica. And several years ago when I was speaking out there, he talked about playing golf with one of a, a group of guys and that one in, the, one in the group of four wanted to talk to him about a relationship he was in and how it might lead to marriage. So, Dr. Cloud asked him to explain the relationship. Well, the guy said, I'm really hoping it'll work out, but it's really tough. I haven't been able to make it work yet. So, Dr. Cloud asked him, what's the problem? And the guy said, well, she's a great gal, but she's really controlling. So, Dr. Cloud asked him how she controlled. And he said, that's really controlling. Then the guy said again, but I'm really hoping it's going to work out. When asked how long they had been in the relationship, The guy said, eight years, but I'm hoping. Hoping for what, asked Dr. Cloud. Hoping it'll lead to marriage. But why do you have hope, Dr. Cloud said. Well, because she's just so great. But you just said she was controlling. Yeah, she is. And doctor's response is, uh, Dr. Cloud's response was, look, after eight years, I think it's hopeless, you know? And when the guy said, why? Dr. Cloud said, well, two reasons. You're hoping for two things that don't go together. You're hoping to marry her someday and to marry somebody who's not controlling, and you're hoping to marry her, and she's controlling, right? So you've got two incompatible desires. Now, that, that story embodies one of the first misconceptions about hope, that wishing and hoping are the same, and they are not. Now, we all have wishes and desires. You know, uh, it might be a career desire, a relationship desire, and those can be good things. Some of you may be in a difficult marriage, in a difficult business situation, and you're wishing or desiring that it was different. That's a good thing. But how do you figure out where your hope for those desires is going to come from? Because this guy had what he called hope for eight years. But as Henry Cloud listened to all the reasons and all the things he had tried for eight years, he didn't have a lot of hope for this guy, although this guy said it was his strong desire. So misconception number one is that because you desire something, you think you have to keep hope alive in the desire itself. But there's a difference in hope and desire. Wishing and hoping are good things, but they're very subjective. Hope, on the other hand, is a very objective thing, and it's rooted in objective realities you can stand on. Secondly, misconception, we think hope has to do with the future. 
But in reality, hope has absolutely nothing to do with the future, but it has everything to do with your past. How many of you have ever had God intervene in your life and turn something around? Can you think about it? Just, just hand. Okay, look at it. You mark that place. You'll need that in the future. In Job's worst situation, he had lost his family, his possessions, his health. Yet this man declares, though he slay me, I'll trust in him. He said, I have no other option because I know him. And if you study Job, you'll discover a man who had walked with God a long time. He had a history with God long before this trial. So when you read in the Bible where God intervenes in tough situations and he tells people to have hope, he doesn't talk a lot about the future. He always goes back and gives them a history lesson. God says to Israel, I want you to have hope in this problem you're facing because, watch it, don't you remember how I got you out of Egypt? Don't you remember how I gave you water from the rock? Don't you remember how I fed you every day? Don't you remember how your clothes never wore out? Remember, remember, he goes back to the past. Now, he wants them to have a reference to the past, to have hope he's going to do something for them facing this problem, okay? So God reviews history. If you go to Hebrews 11, the chapter on faith, it tells the story of people, a history, so that we who are reading the Bible might have hope. So hope that God will deliver his people. And that's why testimonies are encouraging to people going through a problem. If you have an addiction of some kind, let's just say it's an alcohol or substance abuse, and you go to an AA meeting, you're going to be in a group of people, and they're going to say out loud a little bit about their story. And one of my friends who went to one of the, I've had several friends, but one of them said to me, I thought I was the worst person in the world. I thought I was the most hopeless person in the world. But after I listened to those other people around me, I suddenly felt hopeful. I didn't feel so bad at all. Oh, 30 years ago, Cindy and I went to a marriage encounter. <laughs> That's a nice word for it, a marriage encounter. We went to a seminar. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go to a seminar. I don't want to go to a marriage seminar. <laughs> well, we went. <laughs> and as much as I dreaded going, and no matter what your feelings may have been, I remember walking to the car with my wife, and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I said, we ain't got any problem, do we? <laughs> These people got lots of problems. We don't have any problems. But it gave me a little reference point. It was silly, but uh, it, was, it was kind of hopeful to hear other people's testimony, and it gives you hope about yours. You know, if somebody's already been to the rodeo and got a T-shirt, they can, they can give you a lot of encouragement. So don't, don't ever hesitate to share your past, even if it's bad, to give people hope for the future, right? Uh, some of you are not sure. Okay. Let, let me give you another example. Let me tell you why some of you are positive and hopeful people, primarily because of your past. For example, if you're a parent, when your first baby arrived, it was without hope. It had no food, no company, no toy. The baby screamed in despair. Why? It had no hope. The baby had no chapters of history to look back on in this new experience of birth life. Now, that would in nothing that has happened yet would encourage the child to expect good things are coming, even though things are not so good right now. So hope, biblical hope, is about good things are going to come at the moment things are not very good, okay? 
but it's in the earliest days of the life of a baby, no good thing has ever come. In fact, the only good thing the baby had, they just lost. The baby was at constant room temperature, swimming in ambiotic fluid, fully nourished 24 hours a day, and now at birth, it's over. <clears throat> now the baby feels hopeless. Ah, but over time, the baby's bad experiences are transformed into good experiences. They're picked up, they're rocked, they're kissed, they're comforted, they're changed, they're fed, they're encouraged thousands of times. And the baby begins to internalize it. Their bad experience is being transformed into a good experience. And as that happens every day over time, as that baby grows with each problem of hunger, wet diaper, being alone, that baby is gaining hope that mom and dad will come and meet that need because now I've got a little history, they've been doing it, right? Okay, and after nine months, they only make an irritable sound wanting attention. And if it doesn't come, as they expect it will, they get a little bit louder. And when you walk in their room, they're up on the rails of that baby bed looking right at that door, expecting you to come because you always have. You might have come later, not when they wanted, but they had hope you're going to come because you've been doing it over and over. So, some of you don't have a history with God. Every time you face a problem, you go, ah! <laughs> and it's like, hadn't God ever done anything for you? You know, you've got to build that little history. Uh, people with a walk with God have a little bit of a history. They've seen God do enough things that even in a bad place, they can say like Job, though he slay me, I will trust in him. So hope has everything to do with the past, with what you've experienced. Now, on the other hand, there are some people who are in a place relationally or business or emotionally where they have no hope. And the reason you have no hope in that particular area is because you've never experienced that area of life being transformed by any experience. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were hurting or in pain or conflict. Nothing good ever came out of it. It was never transformed. And so you learned to give up, to be hopeless. Your ability to have hope is determined by what kind of history you had in that particular area of your life. Third, all hopelessness is not bad. Now, if I'd been playing golf with this guy who was dating a woman eight years, who's controlling, I would have tried to get him hopeless about the situation. Because as you attempt to do the same old, same old, and nothing is changing, that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So for eight years, he did the same thing, hoping things would change. But he needed to come to a place of hopelessness so he could stop what he was doing that wasn't working and at least try something new. So it's good to realize that continual repetition of a bad life cycle is hopeless. Some of you have been on a treadmill of trying a, a lifestyle and it ain't working, hadn't worked yet, and you've been disappointed and disillusioned. And I'd really love for you just to get hopeless about what you're doing and let's come up with a new plan so God can do what he'd like to do to help you. If you're stuck in some sort of a pattern, sometimes we need to do what God tells us in the Bible, come to the end of yourself. And then be willing to look at something new. At some point, you have to just give up and say, I've been trying to make my life work. It's not working. I surrender. I quit. And now, now God can intervene and do something. 
So where does hope come from? Well, number one, character. Character. Listen to Proverbs 15, verse 19. The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Now, if you're going from here to Dallas today, you have hope of getting there primarily because there's a highway. It's pretty hopeful you can get there. But what if there was no highway, just ravines and creeks and trees and ditches and rough hills? You wouldn't have so much hope then. So the Bible says there's a path for the future, but it has a lot, a lot to do with who you are as a person and who you depend on and who you put your hope in and what their character is like. Some of you young ladies have been choosing people that have no character, and it's hopeless. You're hoping for a good thing out of a bad product. You, okay, you, you're not going to get it. For example, if your life depended on somebody making a 12-foot putt, who do you want hitting that putt? The number one golfer in the world, Dustin Johnson, or me? If your life depended on it. Uh-huh. See, the path of the upright has hope. So Dustin is upright in the golfing world. He's got a history of character and proven ability. So he's the guy you want making that putt. But let's say you have a friend with a hopeless life, and you know the only thing that's going to turn that around is if they meet God and God has some intervention in their life. And let's say you have one shot at it. So they come and visit one Sunday, and it's your only shot. So who do you want talking to him? Dustin Johnson or me, right? See, the Bible says as we develop character that can live life, we can have hope for the future. I remember once on an airline sitting next to a, a wealthy investor. He's a guy, he said, Rick, I don't invest in organizations. He invests in people. He said, when I know somebody and I know their makeup and their character and their abilities, I don't have to hear the pitch. I know they're not foolish, they're not unethical, because they've got a proven history. So I'll bet on those people. And by the way, so will God. If, you know, girls, if the guy doesn't have proven character now while you're dating, he isn't going to get better once you get married. Or she isn't going to get better, guys, it works both ways. But it's primarily the other way. You're not going to change him. You know, we come to the altar and say, I do. Women think it means redo. You're, you're going to redo? I don't think so. No, the real, the real hymn's home locked up in my cage. It, it, that's, that's during the courtship area. And if that's bad, that's as good as it's going to get. It won't get better. All right. Well, part of what hope's about is am I in the growth process and becoming the kind of person that can make a marriage work? the kind of person that can make a career work, the kind of person that can make resources God gives me bear fruit. Well, if I am, then the path of the upright gives hope. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So many times we think wishes and longings are the same thing. But longings are the things you can't do life without. To love, to be loved, to have a sense of direction, security, to be in some measure of control of life, to be able to express our talents. So you're either going to live life by design or you're going to live it by default. And that's going on in this room right now. Some people live a chaotic life from crisis to crisis. And when there's another crisis, they come to church. God says, I want you to live by design. You're going to get a better outcome 
in the long run. And so uh, those are longings the soul is made out of. It's not getting a new Ferrari. That's not a longing. That's a desire. And the Bible says that if we're not having those basic longings met, you start to die and become hopeless. But if you get those needs met, then it becomes a tree of life in every one of us. So now I don't have to continually depend on Sunday for a fix from my problem. I'm able to take Sunday with me through the whole week. I've got a tree of life inside me because over my life, God's met those longings and given me hope for the future. You know, if I've seen God solve a $100 problem, I got, I've got hope he'll solve a $200 problem. If, he's, if I've killed a lion and a bear like David, David's not cocky. He's confident. He has hope God will take down this giant. He's with me there, and he's with me there. He's back to his history. Yeah, he will. Some of you have never put God to the test, and I mean righteously put him to the test, even like being generous and whatever. You have no history, so you clutch and you're afraid, and I won't have enough, and what's the new tax plan? It's totally dependent on the government and you. God, I tell you what, if you're hoping in the government, God bless you. I, I'd, I'd rather hope in Beyonce or Britney Spears or somebody. I, I'm not trusting the government for anything. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Man, it's a mess, right? Proverbs 15, verse 24. The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep them from going down to the grave. The path of life leads up. If you've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 15 years, and your life isn't better, you suck. <laughs> you need a good, righteous slap to say, smell the coffee. The path of the righteous goes up. The path of life goes up. It doesn't mean you don't have problems or trouble or setbacks, but it means if you chart your life, it's going up. It's going up. I'm better off today than I was ever better off when I was 27 and became a Christian. Way better off. Got bigger problems, bigger responsibilities, but I see a much bigger God, so I don't freak out. I don't get a wedgie when big things, oh, what are we going to do? Well, wait a minute. I look back at my history, and I see what he's done, so I know what he's capable of doing, and I have hope, okay? So we've said so far, I've got to develop character. Some of you need to work on that. I've got to have my inner longings fulfill, but I've got to also know what I'm doing in life. The path leads upward for the wise. And whatever situation you're in right now that you don't have hope for, are you gaining some new wisdom about it? God says wisdom is the principal thing. God says with all you're getting, get wisdom. The difference in seasons in your life, the difference in uh, success and failure, uh, poverty and wealth is wisdom. It's something I don't know. And when you know it, boom, everything changes in your marriage. Everything changes in your finances, in your relationships, when you have conflict. Because now I've got something I didn't have before, wisdom. And God's word is chocked full of wisdom. Listen to James 1, verse 5. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally and will not withhold. So God put wisdom in his principles, in men and women, in books, in his word. And some of you might be trying to do the same old, same old without new information. 
So if you're in a hopeless business situation, have you asked for advice from a professional in that particular field? Are there some options that you could exercise that could remedy the problem? And in almost every case, the answer to that is yes. You just don't know what it is. See, it'll stay hopeless to you unless you get some new information. So Henry Cloud asked the guy on the golf course, have you ever thought about telling this woman that she's got 90 days to go and figure out this control issue and go see somebody about it and get help or you're out of here? And the guy said, no. I thought I was supposed to be long-suffering. And Dr. Cloud said, well, you've suffered long, Sparky, eight years. <laughs> this guy did not have wisdom to set limits. Guys, girls, set some boundaries. Set some limits, right? This was new information to a hopeless problem for a guy who is now going to get some hope because he's getting some wisdom. And as you learn new principles, that's wisdom, then you have hope. I've never met anybody that came into this church at any time who had a problem, an addiction, a relational problem, financial problem that was hopeless. No such thing on my radar. Not at all. If you'll accept wisdom from God, not a chance you can't recover. Do you know that divorced people and married people, divorced people do not have worse problems than married people. They're just unwilling or they're ignorant of doing the right thing to fix it. That's the only difference. Everybody I know married, been married 30 years, 40, 50 years, had the same problem. Everybody divorced had the problem. But they were willing to do whatever it took to make that thing work. And if you'll take biblical wisdom, I'm talking to Christians now, if you'll do what God said, there's not a problem you can't resolve. Now, sometimes my attitude's ugly, sometimes my, my, my emotions are just ugly inside, rebellious and stubborn, and that's pretty much me. Okay, that's me naked. That's not me behaving today. That's just the natural, carnal me. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. That's when I'm on 281. That one comes out. It, a little demon shows up. Yeah, you know, I go to the dark side real quick. I just, but I'm trying to show you my vulnerability so I, you know what's going on in you at the same time. Okay, so I've had, I'm sure from murder to divorce, we probably all have had those feelings. Did I marry the right person? But it don't matter, dude. I already said I do. I'm in. I made a covenant. What, what a jive talking thing. Well, I wonder if I married her. You made a covenant. It's like, well, I wonder if I bought the right car. You signed the contract. You're going to have to make 36 payments. No matter you like it or not, right? I'm responsible. That's part of character. I said I will. I will. That's my character. I keep my word. To my own hurt, I keep my word. And boy, I've had to do that several times too, and it's painful, but that's what builds character. That's why I always have hope. This thing's going to come right. It looks bad right now, but somehow God's going to make this thing come right. I've been walking long enough to see him do it. So I don't believe in a hopeless situation if you'll accept biblical wisdom and from the Lord, because after 70 years, I've learned enough of God's principles. I've had enough training. I've lived long enough through enough problems to know the path is totally hopeful. So don't talk to some rookie about your problem. Talk to somebody with proven achievement, with character, who's already been where you are and can give you good advice on what not to do. That's all. That's just simple. It's not hard. So you and I may just have limited information because the path of the wise is upward. It's going to go up. Fourth thought, 
You have to be connected to the one who can make those first three things happen. Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18. Do not envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. For surely you have a future ahead of you. Your hope will not be disappointed. Now, when I was 27, rock and roll business, I, I found that I didn't have the character to make life work. I thought I could do anything. I thought I could change anything, but it wasn't working. And I didn't have many life longings met. I come from a divorced family. My father's been divorced five times. I was raised by different relatives and aunts and passed around. So I didn't have a lot of life longings met, and I didn't have enough wisdom to make life work. So being in that kind of a hopeless, frustrated place, I remember I cried out to God, help me. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'll do whatever you that I know you'll tell me. I'll do it. And I remember I invited him into my life. I didn't even have to go to a church and walk down the aisle or raise my hand. I just did it walking on the beach after a gig in a rock and roll band. And I just, that was his, now I went to church later, but the point was, me and God had an encounter right there when I came to the end of myself, and I said, I'm not satisfied with the way my life, I'm not going to wait till I'm 70, I'm going to wait, I'm going to jump on that sucker now in my 20s to say it's not working good, and I just can't believe this is the best life can be. Well, I, it wasn't the best life could be, but I had to come to my end of myself, and I can tell you today that when I face like you, what something that appears, appears to be hopeless, I know there is a God who will give me all three of these hope builders. And I'm continually dependent on the one who has the answers. And so these first three things we've talked about that build and foster hope can't work without God because he's the one that made those things. Secondly, he made you. So we can ultimately never gain the character, the wisdom, the knowledge, the experiences until we're connected to the one who made all that. Otherwise, you can hope for all the wrong things, things that don't fit you because you're not, at the moment, being who you were made to be. So only the Lord has a right to tell you who you are, and he'll put the right desires in your heart that are right for you. Till then, you can live a hopeless life because you're living somebody else's life, not the one you were made to live. Anybody here ever look back on your life at someone or something you thought you wanted that you couldn't live without? Oh, but today you're so thankful you didn't get it. Yeah. You know, I've heard girls in high school say, oh, if he breaks up with me, I'll die. Well, where are all the bodies? I, it ain't, that's nonsense. You ain't going to die. And I, I look back at my high school annual one time, and I remember thinking, I liked her. Oh, God, that, I can't believe that. I must have been on drugs. What? What? I bet you all of you have had thoughts like that. Not just me. Well, sure. Or something you wanted, or God shut a door, and you thought, well, this is the worst thing in the world. And then years later, in hindsight, you look back and say, wow, that was a defining moment in my life. I had no idea God was up to something good for me. Now, you've got to learn that. You know, that's why we come here. We try to learn this. So often we can want what's not right for us. You may be wanting somebody who's not right for you. And I'd rather you be miserable, cry, blow mucus in a tissue for a week and a half over a breakup than to be married to a mistake and then have to live with that thing for years and years and years in continual anguish. I'd rather suffer temporary sorrow and anguish than permanent uh, pain and sorrow. You know, uh, some of you are not sure? Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. So the only way for me to find out what's right for me, or you, is to be connected to the one who made me and made whatever it is that's going to fulfill me. One last thought about hope. This is Christmas. Christmas is the most hopeful sign of God's love for mankind in the world. Let me, let me just quickly, Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Now, what's so strange about God, how he sent his son, is that he sent him as a child, and he sent him through Galilee. Now, to the average American Christian, that means nothing. In Isaiah 9, verse 1, it says, In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, the reason that is so strange is that Galilee was despised, and especially Nazareth in Galilee, where Jesus grew up and came from. There was a common saying back then, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because everybody knew Nazareth was this podunk backwater town in part of a country that was despised by everybody. Nothing good could ever come out of there. Now, for us, it would be saying, well, we know great things can happen, Rick. We know great things have happened. Great things can happen in Silicon Valley, in New York, in London, Paris, and Tokyo. Hey, but great things don't happen in Duckville, Tennessee. I mean, you don't normally hear about it, right? Yeah. Well, that's how the world thinks, and that's exactly why God sent his son as a little baby born to poor parents, born to an unwed mother in a food trough. He was raised in a podunk backwater town called Nazareth. Now, why does God do it? I love this. To remind every Christian and to remind us every Christmas, there's always hope no matter how hopeless your situation seems. The world is always wanting to write off people. This kind of person never changes. This kind of situation never gets better. This kind of situation, oh, there's no hope for that. We're always writing things off. So God reminds us through Christmas that he loves to go into situations that look the most hopeless, the most unlikely, the most unexpected, and that's where he loves to do his miracles. Light and salvation come through Galilee, not Rome, and that means that no matter where you're from, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter how hopeless your situation may seem, God loves to make his light break through in the dirtiest, most unlikely places. Therefore, Christmas reminds me there's always hope because anything is possible with God and nothing, nothing is impossible with God, right? Christmas reminds all of us that the world is a dark place. Nevertheless, he says the light now with the coming of Jesus has dawned. Hope has come. A child was born. A son was given. He will usher in justice and peace. He will defeat evil and darkness. And death will not have the last word. Therefore, we have nothing to be afraid of. Anything's possible. Nothing is impossible. And that's why we celebrate. Thank God for Christmas and its symbolism. I want you to bow your head with me for just another second. Father, we cannot even begin to fathom how much hope we have because of you. And that because it's true, because Christmas is true, you really did come. You really did enter into our life in this world. And now there is hope no matter what's going on in our lives. And Lord, for these moments now as we gather as a family, as a body, as a church, as we sing songs, as we meditate on the hope we have in you, I pray your amazing light will break through, shine through, pierce 
our darkness. You are the hope of the world, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus, we always have hope. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.